Welcome to Hearts Unleashed, a personal and professional development podcast. We are raising the frequency of humanity through emotional intelligence. Life coach, best-selling author, and speaker Abigail Gazda interviews amazing humans from all industries, sharing inspiration and insight about thriving as your most authentic self. If you're ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, lovers, welcome to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. I am so honored to invite Laura Matella. She is an accountability and certified recovery coach with over 20 years of active sobriety. Laura, I'm so excited for you to share that part of your story and journey with us. She has a strong track record for creating sustainable change in the lives of her clients. Laura lives in Los Angeles, and uh, we all know I'm a Southern California lover, and so we are not too far from each other. And also, she is a published author, a public speaker for recovery, and also active in philanthropy for the Alzheimer's Association. So she's also the subject of If You're Still Breathing, which I cannot wait for you to tell us more about your film that has been in film festivals and is just spreading like wildfire. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Abigail. It's such an honor and just a treat to see your face. I've been following you for a while, and I've just got to tell you, you just, you put it out there and the world needs people like you. I appreciate that a lot. And thank you for putting yourself out there as well. And so tell us, I mean, take us through your journey. Give us a little bit about you. Oh my gosh. Well, As you said, by the grace of God, I'm 20 years sober, and I truly mean that is grace. I also am a recovering bulimic, and my story is portrayed in my film, If You're Still Breathing, but my first addiction really was food. I'm an only child, and I was a latchkey kid. I'm 55, by the way, so some of you youngsters don't know what that is, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had a key to my house, Both my parents worked. And so, like, my form of entertainment was food. And I come from a long line of country folks from Kentucky. I grew up in Atlanta, but I've got Kentucky roots. And, you know, we ate. If you could fry it, that was the best way to do it. So food was my best friend, my companion, And then in high school, I discovered purging and I became bulimic. I became a daily drinker at the age of 18. So literally from age 18 to 35, I did not have a sober day unless I was in rehab, which I went to six times. So that is my experience with eating disorders, and alcoholism. And the reason why I did the film is I think so many of us, especially women, have so much shame and guilt around needing help and um, around alcoholism. And you know, it's a vicious cycle. We drink and then we do things that we're so ashamed of. Mm -hmm. 
And then we drink because we're so ashamed and we're so guilty and our our self-worth and our self-esteem and mine was just self-loathing, self-hatred in the end. But the reason I wanted to shoot the film is I really wanted to show what a life of sobriety can be and what it can look like. Mm -hmm. And no matter how low you go, and I really show how low I went. But then what I've been able to do in the 20 years that I've been sober, I just want to give, especially women, but Mm -hmm. everyone, just hope. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know what's right around the corner if we just stay sober. If we continue to drink I mean, there's very few guarantees in this world. I can personally guarantee if we continue, it's just going to get worse, mm-hmm. right? Huh. <laughs> you're speaking so much truth here, and I can relate. I'm hearing what you're sharing, and for me, um, it was substances and alcohol, marijuana and alcohol. I've had a generally healthy relationship with food as, as an athlete and as a health teacher too. Like I just understood food. I understood what substances did too, but I I always was able to justify it as self-medicating for anxiety or managing, you know, whatever, whatever, or, or it's just so harmless. So I would always be able to kind of like justify my own experience. And I think that everybody has, and as you were sharing is like, I was a latchkey kid. I have these reasons why I did or why it came about. And, and also then mentioning that shame cycle, right? Like I was ashamed there because that's the best way to avoid or forget or numb out is to just do the habit that we know to do to forget or numb out or leave or disassociate maybe. And so um, what what was the real turning point for you? Because you said you've gone to rehab six times. And so this it sounds like you've had these different maybe rock bottoms or like breakdowns where it's like, I need to get sober. And it sounds like you've made that effort, but what, you know, I'd love to talk about the breakdowns and then what, where you might've arrived where it was finally time to stay sober. Right. Oh, I would love to share that. And thank you so much. So every time I went to rehab, I wanted to go to rehab. I never had, you know, an intervention where I didn't have a choice. And, um, one of the things that was so difficult for me is I was addicted to the lifestyle, like Mm -hmm. the lifestyle, you know, that beautiful glass of Merlot. And I just, because I, you know, started drinking at 18 and I, I just thought drinking was the good life. Mm -hmm. And so I romanticized that. And, you know, I think it's common knowledge to those of us in the recovery world that it's like the fantasy of every alcoholic to be able to drink like a normal person. Mm. And, um, you know, I really wanted, so each time I went to rehab, I, I was honest, like my prayer in rehab every single day was dear God, please help me tell the truth about me. Mm. But when I would, when I would get out of rehab, the thing I never bought into was that it's the first drink that gets you drunk. Mm. I kept thinking that I could control it. Mm. And I went to the six rehabs in the course of five years. And I also, by the way, had 18 medical detoxes in five years. Um, I would have seizures if I 
didn't have alcohol in my system. So I just felt like people were trying to help me. My husband, if he could have bought it for me, he would have. My parents, if they could have done it for me, they would have. And everyone was trying to help me. And I was drinking and I was lying. Mm. And I was just ending up in ER with tubes everywhere. And I just wanted to die. I thought everyone would be better off if I would just die because I literally could not stop. You know, I think sometimes even those of us with long-term sobriety, when we're helping other people or especially people who don't have a problem, let's be honest, an alcoholic who is not sober is really difficult to deal with. Mm. And, um, but I just want to say this to family members who are struggling right now, if they're listening or to people like, honestly, we can't help it. Like it's like somebody gets in my body and my brain and my mouth and makes decisions for me that I don't want to make. Like I was truly powerless and I couldn't stop even though I had been given every opportunity mm-hmm. to go to rehab. So I, um, God, I could start crying right now. Like the pain, you know, the pain to be in that situation. So I did try to kill myself. I really tried to drink myself to death mm-hmm. for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And I kept waking up and I just wouldn't die. What did it for me? I just decided, okay, if I go to a medical detox again, I'll just get out in three days and try to drink Merlot like a lady again. And um, so I went into a long-term treatment center. And can I just say for anyone listening who's thinking, well, God, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink like her. Mm-hmm. That's that's great if you don't. But what I want to say is you don't have to go all the way to the bottom like I did. Mm-hmm. But also, um, relapse doesn't have to be a part of your story, nor does rehab have to be a part of your story. Mm-hmm. It's a part of mine. And so I'm just telling my story. But I just want to encourage anyone, like you don't have to suffer for years the way I chose. I didn't really choose, but you don't necessarily have to suffer the way I suffered. So I checked into a nine-month program. And that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And looking back on it, I should have been afraid to not check in, (laughs) but (laughs) um, it really saved my life. But while I was there, I finally took some responsibility for myself and I realized I'm the one pouring alcohol down my throat. I was wanting, I was a victim and I didn't know I was playing the victim role, but I thought it was my childhood. It was my parents' fault. It was my husband's fault. You know, that saying, if you had my problems, you'd drink too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really got honest and, um, I was the one pouring alcohol down my throat and slowly, slowly, I started to feel gratitude for actually being in that place. 
Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I was sent to all the fluffy places. And this place that I landed in, there were people there in lieu of prison. Mm-hmm. We never got phone calls. Mm-hmm. For nine months, no phone calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was definitely a method to their madness. Mm-hmm. And I started to do a gratitude journal. And I still have my journal, my first one. I have all of them, but the first one, that first gratitude list, the first thing on the list 20 years ago was my family doesn't have to worry about me. I'm safe. Clean, just getting ready for bed at night instead of passing out and blacking out. Yes. You know, eye cream, (laughs) just these little things I had never in my life thought to be grateful because I I was so full of fear and anger and it was, everybody was doing all this to me Mm -hmm. that I couldn't sit still. By the way, I listened to one of your podcasts. I know you're a big proponent for gratitude and for (laughs) journey. Me too. But like when you sit still, just sit still and stop thinking and planning and scheming and <laughs> resenting. God, like these precious moments, you know? So that was the beginning of my journey into sobriety. You know, you were sharing with us about the 10 days of trying to drink yourself to death. Just thank you for the vulnerability and for sharing that honestly. And because I imagine, you know, not imagine that so many people struggle with suicidal thoughts or ideations that either try and don't succeed or just constantly ruminate on the idea. And I think it's important when people are willing to admit that they have struggled and Mm -hmm. that they've made beyond that, that there is life and like a thriving life beyond that. Because, Mm -hmm. um, ultimately many people are, you know, deciding to stay here for someone else or, because of this or because of that, they, they are able to reason with why they might stay or why they might not leave. But um, being able to really identify what could actually be possible other than just sticking around of like living, right, is a whole different experience. And so I'm just so grateful for the way that you shared that and and some of those realizations that you had in rehab that I'm actually doing this to me. Yes, I can get I can get away with blaming everybody forever and that won't work or and it's not working for me. So then you were in this 9-month program, you were there, you and you came out and then so it's been since then that you've been 20 years sober? Yes. Beautiful. And so from from there what has your journey been like? Because I know that now you're a huge advocate for it and you're, you're coaching and you're supporting other people. How did you get into the work that you're doing now? Oh my gosh. I just got chills. Like I never want to forget where I was. Mm. I don't dwell on it. Um, but I can't believe the life, the life I have today. And that doesn't mean that it's life without problems, but to love myself, to have purpose, and to be able to take what I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me and use it for good mm-hmm. to help others, but you just can't make that up. Mm-hmm. So kind of cute, funny story. Um, what, first of all, the first 10 years of my sobriety, by the way, let me just say this. 
Had I not been married, I would have been homeless. I'm not exaggerating. I was not a functional alcoholic. Mm. I drank round the clock. I already said I'd have seizures if I didn't have it in my body. So thank God that I was not homeless. The first 10 years of my sobriety were literally about making living amends to my mom and dad. They literally thought they were going to bury their only child. The year that I got sober is the year that my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I was living on the West Coast. They were on the East Coast. I was able to be present, be there, be extremely involved for both my mom and my dad and that 10-year Alzheimer's journey. And they died about 10 months apart. And here's the cute little twist on my story. So... After both my parents passed, I had my dog, Norman, gentleman Norman. Um, (laughs) His name was Norman. But anyway, everyone used to tell me, you've got to do something with this dog. And by the way, it's in the film. Because I can't talk about my life without talking about my Pomeranians. Uh I've had four. So um, my dog, Norman, the whole time that I had him, that I was involved with my mom's Alzheimer's care... People were like, you've got to do something with this dog. Like, it's unbelievable. And so deep down, I knew I wanted to do something with him, but I wasn't sure what. Mm -hmm. And I ended up publishing a book with my dog in all the ways that he's the perfect man. (laughs) How to be a man. So um, it's a coffee table book. And so that's like my first project. It ended up launching at Neiman Marcus. I got him on Good Morning America. We did all these charity events and book signings. And because of my dog, I grew. Remember, I had done nothing. If you would have Googled me, nothing would have come up. I guess that's better than a lot of bad stuff. (laughs) True, true. Before social media. Yeah. (laughs) But um, God, thank you, God. But, um, So that was like my first project was this book. And I found out that I'm creative. I found out that I'm a good connector with people. I am good at garnering publicity and speaking. So that book led me to coaching. Mm -hmm. I mean, how to be a man is like practical advice, Mm -hmm. actually for men and women on how to behave, how to just, it's not about really manners. It's more about common courtesies, Uh kindness and common courtesy. But so that book led me to some form of coaching. So then in the midst of book tour, and this is where I get into the, um, the accountability program and the, the health and wellness space. Here I am. I'm like 12 years sober thinking that I'm eating healthy, living a healthy lifestyle, but yet I was suffering with debilitating migraines and and bloating, and I'm on book tour. And um, turns out I'm highly allergic to dairy, soy, and preservatives. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I A medical doctor hasn't told me this, but I have a new functional medicine doctor and we're digging deep 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, the way I grew up, the mm-hmm. foods I ate, mm-hmm. the bulimia, I mm-hmm. think had a great deal to do with my food allergies today. So when I eliminated these foods that don't suit my body mm-hmm. and preservatives and chemicals, at 12 years sober, it was like I was, I didn't even know how bad I felt till I started feeling good. Yes, yes. Ah, just Mm -hmm. wow. And you know, we are what we eat. Mm -hmm. So I became super passionate about um, eating clean. And I literally teach people how to eat. I don't believe in diets. I don't believe in magic powders, shakes, and teas because it's not sustainable. And so my program and what I teach people is really how to have a healthy lifestyle that you can actually have a social life with, travel with, because I'm just going to show you how to eat real foods, how to decipher food labels, you know, all the marketing buzzwords that get you to buy the product. Mm -hmm. I show people how to read those ingredients and it's just my passion. So That's my accountability program. My recovery coaching is my 90-day accountability program geared towards those in recovery. So many of us are able to put down the drink or the drug, but pick up other self-destructive behaviors. And I'm all about emotional sobriety and balance. Yes, It's so important that you bring that up because the emotional sobriety part, when I I had written down sober in so many ways when you were talking, because when it, when it shifted from food, like for myself too, uh, there was a phase in 2019 where I gave up weed and alcohol and caffeine and sex and sugar for 20 days. Wow. I... (laughs) Yeah, right. I was levitating. Like that was the clearest. It was like my eyesight changed. Like it was incredible and I felt good and I was high functioning and I was super inspired and like I could feel all of my power restoring back into me because I wasn't diffusing it or leaking it anywhere. Right. And it felt so good. And, And then So I did that for 20 days because I kind of, I was starting to play mad scientist with myself, like trying this, trying that. And it was really fun and cool. And then funny enough to celebrate 20 days of that, I had a beer at a bonfire and immediately my gut, my stomach hurt so bad. And I was like, oh my God, I've had this stomach ache for my entire adulthood. This, this is where this comes from. And I just remember being like, I'm done with beer. I'm never drinking beer again. And I drank wine for a little while. And then I just, I've been sober. I'm actually going on a year of no weed, no alcohol for since in February coming up. So by the time this is out, I'll be a year sober. So I'm like, Whoa. oh my God, the one year yeah. is the biggest deal ever. One year is harder than 20 years. Yeah. Yay. I'm so, I'm so, so happy for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just am so related to what you're sharing about when you get up, when you're off of alcohol or whatever substance you might be abusing more or, or that is your preference. Then like you said, we pick up others 
but also it gives us a new sense of clarity. I have a client who's getting sober and she's like, oh my gosh, my head, I'm like, I'm feeling all the things I used to not feel because I would just drink them away. And, yeah. and it's like, yes, like there's these good aspects, these bad aspects, but like that it in the long run, your skin clears up, your hair learns how to grow again, your body's functioning, right? And it takes that time and that you have to move through some of those aches and pains too. So like, I, I appreciated that you were sharing about the migraines and, but you're able to listen to your body oh. so much more because your mind is not foggy or handicapped in any type of way. So I'm just so grateful that you you shared that because people don't know that until they know that, like till they arrive there. And so many people never arrive there. I know. And pain is the great motivator. Unfortunately, that's true with most people, but I really try to teach my, I don't try. I hold my clients accountable to the way we start our day. I start my day. I mean, I knew in early sobriety that I needed to have like a conscious contact with my higher power. Mm -hmm. I call my higher power God. Yeah. I believe in God. And, um, but whatever I, what really helped me too with the God thing in the beginning was someone just said, can you just believe that there is some higher being and it's not you? Mm -hmm. And that really was helpful for me. And through the years of my sobriety, my relationship with God mm-hmm. has developed. Yes. But early on in sobriety, because my sponsor told me, you have to start your day differently. Yeah. So I have my quiet time in the morning because my life depended on it. Mm-hmm. And now for my clients, my accountability clients, I really get them to incorporate some quiet time into the mornings because I believe it to be true. If we don't sit still long enough to process our emotions on a regular basis, they're going to come out sideways Mm. in the form of drinking, overeating, road rage, spending, you know, so we've got to practice that Mm self-awareness and ask. I like the thought of if I... because for years I went around with just this anxiety, but I didn't check in with myself. Yeah. Now I know to check in with myself. Yes. And if I can name it, what is that feeling? Yeah. If I can name it, I can tame it. <laughs> I love right? that. If I can just say, oh, I'm, I'm fearful of blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm feeling fear. Okay. Well, what's the opposite of fear or whatever, just to acknowledge those emotions, right? Yeah, well, and it goes back to that emotional sobriety that you mentioned because um, emotional sobriety leads to emotional intelligence. That's what I heard when you said, if I can name it, right? Because, you know, it's kind of interesting where reasons that we abuse substances or numb out or check out is because we haven't built a relationship with ourselves in that way that to be able to check in with our body or hear what it's communicating. We're just like, no, right? We just know it the whole time when we're drinking or abusing or harming. And and so we refuse to really acknowledge 
what our body's communicating to us. And so I love that you bring in the emotional sobriety and that it can lead to that emotional intelligence that then leads to, you know, thriving and all of that. And so you mentioned you have a few different courses. How can people get in touch with you to work with you or or learn more about what you offer? Maybe they're ready to start their sobriety journey. Yes. Well, my website is lauramartella.com and there are videos under accountability coaching and then the video under the recovery coaching, a little bit about my story. And we are going to be adding my short film. It's 11 minutes. I always tell people it's 11 minutes because I have ADD. I I need to know when it's over if I'm starting something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's 11 minutes, my documentary, and it will be on my website soon. Yes. So that is where they can find me. And I'm on Instagram at Martella. And I just really want everyone who's listening to know if you are still grieving, there is hope. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you did an hour ago. Right this moment, there's so much hope. I think people are really suffering right now during this pandemic and during this quarantine. And, you know, we just, we need some hope. We need some light. We need some love. And I just feel, Abigail, like what you're doing is just, it's a beautiful thing. I'm just, I'm extremely grateful to have been connected with you through our mutual friend, Jeannie, who is a doll. Yes. But thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it, yes. And as you, as you go, you, you said something that is so powerful because you know, at these times we're facing, we're just facing different times in our lives, in the world, in the in the lifetime, lifespan of humanity, let's say. And as we do begin to wrap up, what would you, um, you mentioned starting your day different. That was a really great tip. What would you offer to people who might be struggling right now? Like what are maybe one or two other things, even if it's like reaching out to get help, but what are one or two things that people can do at this time to stay emotionally sober? Oh, yes. Such a great question. Well, I do believe that structure Mm. is so important. A morning routine, an evening routine, that's what I really help my clients with. I believe dogs need structure, babies need structure, adults need structure, especially alcoholics and addicts. Do we need structure? Mm-hmm. I help my clients with a routine. People are so, even in quarantine, quote unquote, busy. Mm-hmm. I work with dynamic people that are doing things, important things, busy things. But when I get them in our weekly face-to-face sessions mm-hmm. to sit still and we start talking, One little epiphany that changed a woman's life. I'm not kidding you. This is a single mother, super successful private personal trainer, but her mornings weren't going well with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And it was just chaotic. And by the time they were out the door, they were both crying. 
So I got, we just talked. Like, I love to ask why and then why and then why. Like, you back it down. Yeah. Okay. Her mornings weren't going well. She couldn't carve out quiet time for herself before her daughter came up. She was overwhelmed. And we backed it down. Her house, her kitchen was a mess in the mornings when she woke up Mm. because she didn't unload the dishwasher. This Mm -hmm. is just how simple it can be. Yes, it is. It can be. If you want a a beautiful morning routine, you've got to have an evening routine. Like you've got to have, you want to start out in the morning from ground zero. Right. Everything put away. Right. So when you wake up, you've got some traction already. Mm-hmm. And I really believe if you've got kids and you've got dogs and you've got whatever, you've got to get up earlier mm-hmm. to get your time before the whole household goes berserk. Mm-hmm. I also would like to suggest, I suggest this with all of my clients, those that you live with, your loved ones, ask them for support in this, that you want to up your self-care and can they support you in carving out some quiet time? And in turn, you can support them in carving out some, but it's all about communicating and asking for support. Beautiful. Yes. And yes. And so I love the way that you simplified that. So thank you so much for those tips as we head back into our lives. And I just want to say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. And I hope that you got exactly what you needed today, because this is such a beautiful conversation. And whether it's you who might be struggling with, you know, whether it's sobriety from substances of all sorts or sobriety from habits or emotional sobriety, emotional intelligence, wherever you are on this spectrum, just thank Thank you for tuning in with your whole heart and mind. And if you know somebody who's struggling with sobriety or abuse of any sort, um, please reach out, please share, please connect with them, maybe share this episode or connect them with Laura or myself. And so, Laura, I just want to thank you for sharing your heart and your brilliance and your passion and, and your journey. It's really, it's really profound. And I just imagine some of those days and some of those low points. And I'm just really glad that you're here now talking about it as opposed to being there. And so thank you for working yourself through everything, for connecting to God, to your higher power, to what there is to connect to, and for accepting help and accepting the resources available to you to walk all the way through that journey. I'm so present to your resilience and persistence. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Abigail. Yeah. It's wonderful. And hearts, have a wonderful day. Again, be sure to share, be sure to connect with Laura. Can you share your website with us one more time? Of course. It's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Martella, two L's, dot com. Perfect. And you guys go head over there. Make sure you say hi, let her know where you met her, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for yes. tuning into the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, visit us at heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.